this month we've been working on a series entitled The Greatest Gift, tying into the gift of Christ, of course, and uh, trying to learn some lessons from that basic story. Uh, we looked at a gift worth giving and a gift worth waiting for and a gift worth receiving. Uh, today we get around to a gift worth understanding. And we need to sort a few things out before we start. I'm sure some of you were a little shocked by that scripture. Uh, what are we reading from Hebrews on Christmas weekend for? Uh, well, you'll find out here in a little while. Uh, the, the history of uh, Christ's birth, of course, is you know, unknown to us. We don't know the date. We, uh, December 25th was picked, and the world pretty well agrees on that. Uh, the story itself sometime, I think, becomes to Christians, and certainly to those outside of Christ, uh, the story itself of the nativity, the birth, that time of whenever it was, becomes kind of the whole Bible story. Now, people kind of focus on that, and then they get to celebrate it and uh, picture it and think about it on this season, and it becomes kind of what this book is all about. Well, it's not really close to that. Uh, only two of the Gospels even discussed the birth of Jesus. Uh, if it was that important, and it, it, don't take me wrong, it is the most stupendous event in history when God came to earth. But it's not the story of this book. It's a part of it, and it's a very important part of it, and that's what we're going to try to, to see today. Uh, the birth of Christ literally changed history. I mean, uh, the way we count time changed because of his birth. And we kind of pass that off as, well, yeah, that's what happened. And switched from B.C. to A.D. Can you imagine how that happened? Can you imagine somebody being that important that enough people said, we got to change the way we count time? You know, I mean, that's, that boggles my mind sometimes how they decided that. I mean, I was born in 1948, and nobody suggested that we change counting time. Just stop at 47 and start new from then on. You know, YG, year one, year of the great one, something like that. You know, nobody, nobody suggested that. But after Jesus had lived on this earth and changed the world, somebody said, let's change the way we count time. So uh, it's an important time. It's a, a fantastic day. Everything is different in the world because Christ came to the world. But there's a difference between celebrating someone's birth and understanding the importance of their life. And I think that's what we need to focus on today as we work through this. You can celebrate the birth and think about that baby in the manger and kind of reduce it down to Christmas trees and lights and gifts and singing the little drummer boy and Things like that, that they're all happy and wonderful. But that's not the story of God's book. Uh, over the years, I've preached a number of Christmas series, a number of sermons about this topic. I think my favorite uh, is when we preach through the, a few carols. 
Christmas Carol Theology, I think I called that. I think I did it twice with a couple of different carols. But to study the lyrics of what we commonly call Christmas carols is just just awesome to see what all's in there. They're not just about the baby in the manger. There's hardly any that are just about that. In fact, to just focus on baby Jesus while you're singing Christmas carols is really impossible. Because the old writers that wrote those great hymns put so much of the whole story in there. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. Peace on the earth. Goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. It's not just about a baby and a manger. That's when it happened. But it's about changing earth. It's about changing how men live. And it comes from the king. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. It's talking about the baby, but it's telling us what's really there. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. It pleased him to come be a man. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. All of that tells us the whole story. And that's why I chose today to work through the passage in Hebrews. I said only two stories, two Gospels even tell the story of the birth of Jesus. And we usually read one of those Gospel accounts, and that's where we get the story, and that's what we talk about. But neither one of them explains it as well as the writer of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews explains what that was really all about. So that's what I want to do today is just go through Hebrews 2, starting at verse 5. I didn't put any slides up, so quit looking up there wondering when they're going to appear. Look at your handout or turn into your Bible if you want to go to Hebrews there. But I printed the whole thing out so we can just work through it, do a real scriptural study, and hope when we're done we'll understand and we'll understand that the gift is worth understanding. All right, now prior to verse 5, we've got some things we could go back and talk about, but uh, let's just put it this way. The Jews thought angels were a big deal. We don't know much about angels, and we don't pay too much attention to them, really. But the Jews thought angels were really, really important, and they thought they were really, really important in the scheme of salvation. Uh, they attributed a lot of stuff to angels. So the writer of Hebrews starts in verse 5 with this argument. He says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So here's how the Hebrew writer starts. He says, it's not to angels that 
all this plan hinged around. They're not involved. No, we're talking about God subjecting the whole world. And it's said somewhere, and it's Psalm 8, like the Hebrews writer didn't know where it was. He <laughs> kind of dropped that in there. It's said somewhere. But it's in Psalm 8. David said, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Now the New King James translates that word visit. The son of man, why would you visit him? Okay, Here's the whole thing put in perspective and we'll get deeper and deeper. But this is where he starts. He says, mankind, what are we that you, God, would come visit us? And then he describes how that happened. He said, you made him, God the Son, you made him a little lower than the angels. That's where we are. Mankind is a little lower than the angels. And you made him a little lower than the angels. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. And you put everything in subjection under his feet. What is man that you would come visit him? I mean, think about it. How, how had man done so far? He gave us Eden, put us in the perfect garden, put us in the perfect environment with everything that we needed, and we blew it. Had to kick us out. And then we start running the earth like he gave us dominance of the earth, and we got it so messed up that he just said, I'm going to start over. And so he sent a flood and wiped us out, except for one family. That's what David's thinking about is, you know, God, why didn't you just hit the delete button? You know, just, uh, I'm done with all of them. And we'll start over with something else. But he didn't. He visited us. And, And that makes David wonder, why? What is man that you would... Visit him. Well, the writer of Hebrews is explaining that. And he explains it as well as anyone. The answer is, of course, God loves us. He had every reason to give up, but God eventually said, All right, I'm coming down there. I'm going to show you once and for all how much I love you. And it wasn't the baby in the manger. It was the life of Jesus. He said, I'm coming down and I'm going to show you once and for all how much I love you. And that's what we sing about. How deep the Father's love. There wasn't anything in there about the manger. It was the other end of his life that showed how deep the Father's love is. We sing, if that isn't love, then nothing makes sense. That kind of summarizes the rest of that song. (laughs) If that isn't love, then then I don't understand anything. The love of God is greater far. That's what we sing about. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He became man. You made him a little lower than the angels. That's the incarnation. That is Bethlehem. That's the story we're talking about. 
But he came because he had to. That's the only way the plan would work. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became man to enable man to become the sons of God. And the Hebrew writer is going to clarify that for us as we go. He says next, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. All right, two points in there we've got to know. First, everything is not completed yet. He talks about the world being in subjection to Christ and everything being perfect and peace on the earth and goodwill to men and all. That's not here yet. The way we're going to get there is here. Jesus has come. But anybody disagree the world's not perfect yet? Little kids still die? Old people still suffer? Humans go through pain and suffering and and, and heartache and sickness and relationships are a mess. And it's not perfect. The way of peace on earth. Has come, but we don't have peace on earth. There's a verse in it came upon a midnight clear that that says it this way poetically. Let me read it. He says, "For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever circling years shall come the time foretold, when the new heaven and earth." shall own the Prince of Peace, their King. And this world send back the song, which now the angels sing. So it's not here yet, but it's coming. And that's what the prophets prophesied about. And that's what the angels were singing about, peace on earth, goodwill to men. We haven't got that now, but we're, we're heading that direction. And when we get in the new heaven. And we own the Prince of Peace. But when the King is there with us, then we'll send back that song that the angels sang. So everything's not completed yet. This is still a tough old world. But Jesus died for everyone is the second thing the writer says there. Actually, there's two points. He died like everyone, and he died for everyone. God had to die. And other religions can't figure that out. Your God died? Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's, that's why it's altogether different than other religions. God did die. He died like everyone, and he died for everyone. It's appointed unto man once to die, so Jesus died, but he did it as a different kind of man in one sense. Uh, see, see, it wouldn't have been the same. Well, it wouldn't have been, the plan wouldn't have worked if Jesus would have come and say, lived till 21 and taught some good things and then just pulled in Elijah, you know, went away. Wouldn't have worked. No, he, he came and the writer's going to tell us what his life meant. But here he's telling us what his death meant. 
Verse 10, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. For it's fitting. It's logical. It's a good translation of that. It's logical that if he was going to bring everyone to glory, that to be the founder of their salvation, he had to suffer the same things they did. So Jesus suffered for our salvation. Not just at the end, his whole life. He was tempted like we are. But when it came to the end, the the suffering that was going to come was so bad that Jesus asked, could I get out of this? He came to earth knowing what he was going to do. But when it was finally in front of him, you remember in the garden, he said, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, and it wasn't the physical stuff. Just men can handle the physical stuff. A lot of people have been crucified. A lot of Christians have been burned at the stake. They've suffered horrible deaths with hymns of praise on their lips. So it wasn't just the physical, but Jesus knew what was coming. He knew he was going to take the sins of everyone on himself, and God was going to turn his face away. That's what's in that song we sang. How deep the Father's love. He put the weight of all of our sins on his shoulders. My sins kept him there. And the Father turned his face away. He suffered that for our salvation. The writer says that's why he's he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I'll sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Quote some Old Testament things. And then he said, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. All of this suffering that he went through, the the final death on the cross, uh, God turning his face away from him, that defeated Satan. That took away every game Satan had. What's Satan frightened us with? Fear of death. Sting of death. Sin causes death. That's gone. Christians don't have to worry about that anymore. Satan can't use that on us. Up there in that passage where it says he might destroy the one who has the power of death, it could actually be translated, he rendered powerless. Satan's got nothing left. The sting of death is gone. The fear of judgment. How many people in this world fear judgment day? Everybody that doesn't know Christ. They may say they don't believe But deep down, they're asking themselves, what's going to happen that day if there really is a judgment day and if there really is a God and Jesus really is his son and really died for me and I ignored him? What's judgment day going to be like? Christians don't fear judgment day. There is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan has got nothing. Christ's resurrection guarantees our own. Some people fear just physical death and the body going into the grave. Doesn't bother a Christian at all. That body's coming out as a spiritual body. It's going in as a mortal body, a weak body, broken body. It's coming out strong and beautiful and spiritual and immortal. So he rendered him powerless. Verse 15. Uh, he, he pictures all of this as slavery in this passage. Listen to this. What Satan had over us. It was like we were his slaves. Verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He freed us from slavery. This little baby in the manger and what he grew up to do and to be and the kind of person he was and his death and all of that together, he freed us from slavery. We were in bondage. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Man, there's so much theology in there. We could go for a month on that. Easy. What is man that you're mindful of him? He's answering. Why did Jesus come to earth? He's answering. Is the gift worth understanding? He's telling us. He, he was like us in every respect. He had to be made like us in every respect because he had to suffer the same temptation so he could understand us. He had to suffer the same pain so he could have empathy for us. He was in very nature man. He had to for the plan to work. And because of that, he's the perfect high priest. The high priest symbolically represented the people. Jesus can represent us. He's lived a human life. He's our high priest, our perfect high priest. He paid for our sins. He was the propitiation, big word, payment for our sins. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, is what the song says. It was my sin that held him there. The Hebrews writer said that, that was all necessary. That's how it all worked together. And verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us in this life that we live. Not a standard Christmas story, maybe, but the answer to why God came to earth there in Hebrews. I read a true story of a woman that she wasn't even really a believer in God, but because some of her Friends and neighbors were in Bible study fellowship. She didn't know much about it, but she joined up. And 
for something to do and went with them and studied the Bible each week. And one day she says she was sitting at the kitchen table studying her lesson for that week when she got to Hebrews chapter 2. And I understand she really didn't understand the Bible or what it meant or have much interest in it, but when she got to Hebrews chapter 2, she said she realized for the first time and she kind of looked across the kitchen table like Jesus was sitting there and said, I understood that God identified with me. I understood after reading the passage we just went through that God understands me. That God loves me. And she said, for the first time, I really understood why God came into the world. I fear some of us do that. We treat Christmas like, oh, that's the Bible story. Baby Jesus came to earth. The writer of Hebrews says, no, it's a whole lot more than that. This is why he came. This is why you made him a little lower in the angels. This is why he went through everything that he went through, so that we could be sons of God. It's an old story told about a man that was kind and decent and mostly a good man. He was generous. He took good care of his family. He was honest with all of his business dealings. But he didn't believe in all this. Didn't believe in that, all that incarnation stuff. It just didn't make sense to him. And especially around Christmas time, it kind of irritated him the way churches went on about it. Um, He couldn't just swallow that Jesus story about God coming to earth. So he wouldn't go to church with his wife and kids. He's told them he had waited home for them and always did. On Christmas Eve, they went to church services, and he said, I'll wait here for you. I'll be up when you get back. Well, shortly after they left, a huge snowfall started. Snow just came down in blankets. He sat in his chair by the fire and reading a book, and pretty soon he began to hear thuds. Things hitting something. He thought kids must be throwing snowballs or something, so he got up to look, and a flock of birds was flying into his picture window. The storm was so bad, they were trying to get out any way they could, and they were crashing into his window, and he looked out the window, and a big flock of them was huddled down there under his window trying to stay warm, and the snow was just coming and covering them up more and more. He said, well, I can't just let them sit there and freeze because the storm's going to be horrible. So he got his coat on and got his hat and his mittens and his gloves and everything and went outside. And he went out to his barn and he opened the door of his barn and turned the light on. He said, if they just fly into the barn, they'll be warm. Surely they'll figure that out if I leave the door open here. But he stood and watched and watched and the birds didn't. They just fluttered around under the window. So he went over and back in the house and got some loaf of bread and went out and started trailing breadcrumbs out to the barn. He thought, they surely follow that. Didn't bother the birds a bit. They just 
sat where they were. So he finally thought, I'll go shoo them into it. So he went down into the flock and started trying to shoo them. They just flew everywhere, but then settled right back down behind him. He tried every, he tried to catch them. He thought, if I could just catch a few of them, get them out there, maybe the others will follow. He tried everything he could think of, and finally it hit him. They don't trust me. They don't understand what I'm trying to do. To them, I'm a terrifying creature, I'm sure. If they just knew I wasn't trying to hurt them, if they just knew I was trying to lead them to safety, maybe they'd come. And then he hit his brain. He said, if only I was a bird. I'd have to be a bird. If I could be a bird, they wouldn't be afraid of me. If I could be a bird, I could lead them. I could show them the way. They would understand. I could speak their language and show them the way to the safe, warm barn. That's the only way they'd hear and understand. Just at the moment, he had that thought in his mind. The church bells began to ring from where his wife and kids were. And the sound reached his ears over the wind and the snow and... He stood and listened to the bells. Then he sank to his knees in the snow because he finally understood. He finally understood this incarnation thing. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. We're, We're trapped in the storm of sin. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. I mentioned that last week. People come in here on Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday not knowing what to do in life. Because we're all messed up. Because of Satan. And he became one of us. That's the Bethlehem story. He became one of us to show us the way. And that's why the story that starts out today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. That's why the story is so important. It's not just about the baby in the manger. It's about the Savior that came to lead us to safety. We're going to sing that great song, Joy to the World, for two reasons. I picked it. Number one, because we ought to be a very joy-filled people right about now. And secondly, because the song says, joy to the world, let earth receive her king. All that the Hebrews writer just told us about doesn't matter a thing if you haven't received the king. He offers us the gift. You have to take it. If you need to do that, today would be the greatest time to do it. Last Sunday of the year, family all together, respond if you need to. Let's stand and sing.